So it's that wonderful time of the year where we begin to prepare our hearts for the Christmas season. And uh, it is, it is um, it's amazing that Thanksgiving has just taken place. And uh, it's kind of one of those, um, it just seems that life sometimes goes so quick, right? And, and uh, you just seem to jump from summer to Thanksgiving to Christmas. And so it just, um, it seems to be moving quickly, but we're here. And, um, and so we are preparing our hearts for that very, uh, that very time. Um, you know, it's funny, we're just coming off of what was yet another um, polarizing election season, uh, where we've all been inundated with phone calls and mailers and advertisements, where people on both sides of the fence were making all kinds of promises that everybody knows nobody follows through on, right? And, and so just all these promises, and, and um, usually we kind of know that they don't tend to come to pass, you know, a promise is only as good as the person making it. How many have been promised things by different people in your life and, and um, they just didn't come through on those promises? Uh, they leave gaping wounds over time. Uh, in fact, it, it causes us to, when we hear those words from somebody at another time in life and they say, oh, I promise I'm going to do that, we go back in our memory banks and we think, yeah, a lot of people have made promises but they, they've never come to fruition. Uh, I've got good news for you that God is not like any other person that you've ever experienced. When God makes a promise, he always fulfills his promise. He, he might not fulfill it the way you think he does, but he always does it in a way that's in your best interest. And so a promise is only as good as the person making it, and it's only, also only as good as a person's ability to deliver on it. Right? How many have had people make promises to them and they just didn't have the tools to make it happen? And so not only is our promise from God able to be delivered upon, but we recognize that it is coming from God himself. And so as we come to another Advent season together, I'm thankful that my hope for the future is not dependent upon the fulfillment of some political promise or some promise from some other failed person in my life, but my promise is tied to a God who faithfully keeps his promises. Today we're going to begin a new series for the Advent season called The Promise. And as a church celebrates the four themes of Advent over the course of the next number of weeks, it will it'll culminate in the final day where we celebrate the coming of the Savior on Christmas Day. These promises that we are recipients from God give us hope, and they give us peace, and they give us love, and they, keep, they give us joy, which all leads back to a manger. The promise fulfilled in the person of Jesus. I don't know about you, but I'm having a hard time catching up with my calendar. I don't know if it's just age or busyness or whatever, but it's kind of like, I just kind of, I just winterized my camper and I'm like getting moving out of, you know, summer months and then it was like Thanksgiving and now we're, man, the Christmas tree is up, right? And, and it's like we're, we are heading rapidly through the pages of our calendar. And here we are right at the beginning of the Advent season. 
And I don't know about you, but, but maybe you've thought something like this at the, sometime in January. You, you kind of sit there in January, the beginning of January, you think, wow, Christmas came and went so quickly. And you know that the temptation is to get so busy in preparing for Christmas, you're getting the gifts, choosing the menu, getting the invites, preparing the house, that we can get so busy preparing for Christmas that we miss Christmas. Not the day on the calendar, but, for the, but the true reason for the season. And I don't know about you, but there's been many times that afterwards I thought to myself, I wish I, I, wish I would have just slowed down a little bit. I wish I, I wish I could have just hit the pause button just to get the most out of that season that is so sacred. Well, you know, that's what Advent is. Advent is our opportunity to make a decision today that we're going to slow down the chaos of the season to celebrate Jesus and prepare our hearts for this Christmas season. That's the beauty of Advent. One of the tremendous blessings of Advent is it causes us to embrace the entirety of the season by, by readying our hearts in advance so that we don't miss the sacredness of the season. The word Advent is a simple word. It simply means the coming or the arrival. And during these next four weeks together, we've, we've been celebrating Advent together for years as a church, and, and we do it from you know, different ways. But, but for these next number of weeks, we're going to be focusing on the themes of hope, peace, joy, and love. And so this morning, we're going to start up with our theme of the subject of hope. I don't think there's a sadder word in the English language than the word hopelessness. Think about that. There's nothing sadder than the word hopelessness. Hope is a word we use often during the Christmas season. I hope this tree fits in the house. I may have had to do a spackle job after the fact that you realized it didn't, right? I hope I get what I want for Christmas. I hope the food is good. How many are preparing the menu for next Christmas during Christmas? You've got issues just like I do, right? I hope, I hope, you know, so-and-so comes. I hope everybody gets along. We kind of throw this word hope around so much that we lo- it kind of loses its depth of meaning. This idea of hope is is more than just wishful thinking about trivial things. And I think, sadly, the overusage of the word hope does that very thing. It kind of diminishes the, the significance of this word hope. However, this is, this is not the Scripture's teaching on the subject of hope. In 1 Peter, Peter will write his first epistle, and, and all throughout he will weave in this, this idea of hope. But, but he sums up this word, this understanding of hope, uh, very beautifully in chapter 1 and verse 13 of his, of his first epistle. He says this, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Set your hope 
fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, most of the time when we talk about hope, it's, it's talked about in the terms of the future. But also hope, hope also has a lot to do with the present as well. Peter uses the phrase, prepare your minds for action. And this is translated literally, gird up the loins of your mind. This phrase, gird up the loins of your mind, it, it comes from an, uh, from an ancient form of dress for men in the Middle East. Men would wear this, this long outer shirt that would stretch all the way down to their ankles. And it made it kind of hard for them to kind of gather around, and especially if they had to get up and do something very quickly. And, and so what they would do is, they would, they would, when they would gird up the loins of their minds, or they would gird up their, their loins, they would, they would literally grab all of the extra outer shirt, and they would tuck it inside their belt so that they'd be ready for action. And likewise, our hope is, is not meant to just be something that impacts our future, but it should impact our present as well. I thank God that my, I thank God that my hope is sure, right? My future looks good. I recognize that there'll be a day where all of the things that discourage me today and disappoint me today and make me sad, I know that those things are only temporary. There's going to be a day where I, I step out of this mess called the earth and I'm in the presence of God and the reality is I'm going to walk as things were designed to be, absent from sin, absent from pain, absent from the effects of sin. My hope is sure. But you're not looking at a hopeless individual that's just kind of waiting for that moment. I thank God that the hope that I have in Christ impacts my today. I thank God that the hope that I have in Christ gives me significance. It gives me value. It gives me worth. It gives me everything that God designs for me to have on this side of eternity. Hope is not just about our future. It's about our present as well, which is our first point. Hope is a certainty about the future that impacts the present. Hope is looking at the now through the lens of eternity. And it is allowing our now to be informed by what lies ahead. Our hope is not set in some ambiguous optimism for no reason. But our hope is set on specific moments in history. When we consider the, the coming of Christ as a babe when we consider his life, when we consider his death, we consider his resurrection, I'm reminded that my hope is not just some myth that I'm hoping is true, but it's based on provable facts. Do you know if the resurrection of Jesus Christ could have been disproved? It would have been disproved centuries ago. I mean, if they could find the missing link that disproves the resurrection, all of Christianity would fall nobody's been able to do it because his word is true. And as sure as Christ rise from, rose from the dead, so true and so too is my hope, not only for my future, but for my present as well. This hope that we have affects the way we see the world around us. 
We look at the now through the lens of what lies ahead as well. The coming of the Savior, the first advent, not only gives us great hope for our future, but it gives us hope for our present as well. Listen to what Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 9 and and verse 2. He says, the people who walked in darkness. How many have walked in darkness before? I know what it was to walk in darkness. I know what it was to experience hopelessness. I knew what it was to feel guilt and shame and and feeling like I was nothing but a, a disappointment from God to God. I knew what it was to walk in darkness. Isaiah speaking to me and just like people just like me. Jay, we were... We walked in darkness, brother, right? But listen to what Isaiah says. He says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. Who is the light? The light of Christ. John declares that in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Christ stepped into my darkness and brought Light, and therefore, life. Woven all throughout the Old Testament is this promise of the, of the coming of a Savior. One who would rescue us from our sin and our, our separation from God. One who would rescue us from the consequences of our sin and redeem us back in the restoration and fellowship with our Creator. It's what all the prophets of the Old Testament pointed to. For hundreds of years, right on from the beginning of Genesis since the fall, we saw the finger of the Old Testament pointed to one who was going to come. It spoke of the location of where he'd be born. It spoke of his virgin birth. It spoke of who he'd be ministering to. It spoke of the message he would bring. It spoke of the death he would die. It spoke of the life that he would live. It spoke so clearly, woven all throughout the Old Testament, 750 years prior. We see with with precision accuracy, Isaiah will pen these words about our Messiah. And all the Old Testament prophets, they waited for this one who would come. But there is one in particular I want to focus on this morning that received a special promise from God, a man by the name of Simeon. If you have your Bibles, let's turn together. Luke records, to Luke chapter 2, Luke records this this incredible event that takes place. It's following the birth of Jesus, and, and it's at that point where the, um, Mary and Joseph are to bring uh, the baby Jesus to the house of God. There's, a, there's an offering that is to be made on his behalf. He's the firstborn of, of, of Mary, and, and, and so they enter into the house of God to offer a sacrifice according to what is in the law of the Lord. We see in verse 25 that in the midst of that moment, Verse 25 says, And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. It means he was led by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, 
something amazing happens. Here we have Simeon, a man, the Spirit of God is upon him. He is a prophet of his day, and he's made a promise from God that he would not taste death until he sees the salvation of the Lord. Some traditions believe that Simeon may have been around 112 years old. We don't know for sure, but we do know this, that as he continued to age, it became clearer and clearer that soon the promised Messiah was, coming, was going to come. And when Simeon sees Jesus, he knows immediately who he is. He's overcome by joy. He's overcome with hope. And he realizes this, as we sang before, this is the one we've been waiting for. This is the one we've been longing for, Jesus the promised Messiah is before us. The promise that he'd not see death is before seeing the face of our Messiah. Imagine what that must have been like. Simeon, upon seeing the Christ, he picks up the child into his arms and he recites this most beautiful prayer. Verse 29, he says this, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. I am ready to go. I have seen. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. He didn't see a plan. He didn't see a book. He saw a person. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And Luke records, and his father and a mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to his Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed so that the thoughts from many hearts might be revealed. And then he reminds her also, A sword will pierce also through your heart, knowing that his beloved mother would watch her son sacrificed on a cross. Could you, could you imagine what that must have been like for Simeon? To know that the thing that he had hoped for for so long had finally come to pass. Simeon, in his many years, had seen the painful times that Israel had to endure. He saw the Romans conquer and occupy his people and in, in, in his land. He saw the bloody civil war that took place. He saw multiple revolutions where the Israelites had been literally crushed as a people. Yet it was in the midst of all of these difficult times that Simeon held out hope that a Redeemer was going to come. He still believed that God was not done and had not quit on his people. He believed the Messiah, the Deliverer, was still on his way. And in Luke chapter 2, Simeon stands at the temple now holding the promised Messiah, the one from whom the world 
would be rescued. The second point we see here is that, that hope is birthed out of deep longings and desperate need. Hope is birthed out of deep longings and desperate needs. So, Simeon shows that hope is birthed out of deep longings and desperate needs. Desperate needs for God's presence and for God's comfort. He was intimately aware of the need for God's presence and God's comfort amongst his people. Luke tells us that Simeon was waiting at the temple for something very specific. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. This word consolation means the encouragement of Israel or the comfort of Israel. You see, for hundreds of years, Israel had been defeated and destroyed by many different nations. The Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, and currently, at the time, the Romans. These chapters in Isaiah were written right in the midst of the most difficult of times. When these chapters in Isaiah were written, and they pointed to a coming comfort through the Messiah that God would send, many would look around them and see the despair and the brokenness and the worry and the fear, and they think, where is the promise? Where is this hope realized? They looked at the outside world and thought, he didn't deliver on his promise. We had heard about what the prophet said would happen. We've been waiting for the Messiah, and they were discouraged, but not Simeon. Simeon, in the midst of despair and everything going on around, around the world around him, he held on to hope. The word that Luke uses for waiting in this passage, it literally means to, to give access to oneself. It's the kind of waiting you do from the deepest parts of yourself. It, it is so much more than just, just wishful thinking. It's a waiting that involves a, a deep, even a sort of pain from within. An awareness of our deep need for something. It's a sort of waiting that, that hurts. Simeon's hope, his expectancy, was birthed out of his awareness of his and Israel's deep need for God's comfort, God's healing, and God's deliverance. I don't know about you, but have you ever had to wait for something so intensely that it hurt? Perhaps it was a waiting for the cure of a sickness, perhaps the conception or the birth of a child. Perhaps it was the restoration of a severed relationship that you long deep in your soul to see reconciled. Something that you wanted so bad, something you longed for so much that you physically felt it. This is the kind of hope that Simeon had for the coming Savior. Hope is birthed out of deep longings and desperate need. During these weeks of Advent, my prayer is that you would allow yourself to come, become so aware of your need for God that you would literally feel 
deep within your need for him. You know, God has wired us to long for more of him. Woven into the fabric of our makeup is a need for something bigger than us, something that's higher than us, something more powerful than us. We are mere creation on a search for our creator. And sadly, people chase after the wrong things, trying to fill that void. Everybody has a need for something. Everybody's longing for something more. And you see, the difference between perhaps Simeon and maybe people of today, Simeon had nothing else to fill that gaping hole in his heart because he wouldn't allow anything but God to fill it. But today we have so many resources. We have so many vices. We have so many things that the moment we feel a sense of need, we fill it with a relationship. We fill it with a job. We fill it with money. We fill it with fame. We fill it with whatever. We fill it with everything we possibly can, hoping that this longing in our heart will go away. And the reality of it is we try on everything. And as soon as we realize it doesn't fit, we just move on to the next thing. There's that God-shaped hole in our heart that only God can fill. Perhaps that was what Jesus meant when he talked about how difficult it is for a rich man to get into heaven. Because sadly, the rich man runs out of life before he runs out of money. And buying all of the vices to fill that deep longing of their heart. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall see God. And so I, I, I pray that, that we would examine our own hearts and that we're all guilty of it. We all fill our stuff with things, right? We all kind of take these, as soon as we feel like there's something missing, we jump on Amazon to buy something. We jumped on Facebook to connect with somebody. We do something somehow to fill. Could you imagine, listen, imagine we had nothing but God himself. We fill our emptiness with things other than God. And my prayer for myself and for you uh, this morning is that during, especially the, during this Advent season, that we would allow ourselves to long for more of God. That we would allow ourselves to hunger and thirst for righteousness instead of filling our bellies with everything and anything else because nothing else satisfies. Hey, it's not wrong to have stuff. I, I get that. But the problem is when we seek to have those things fill voids that only God can fill, we find ourselves empty. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, the only one who can celebrate Advent are the people who carry restlessness around with them whose souls give them no peace, who know that they are poor and incomplete, who and who sense something of the greatness that is supposed to come. You see, the reality of it is people don't feel like they need God because they have so much stuff. And it'll never replace God, and it'll never scratch the itch. But it's kind of like they have that honeymoon experience with people and things and stuff, and so they just kind of keep moving. And I like what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says. Advent are for those who carry a restlessness around with them. Let's say, I must have him and him alone. May this Advent season be different than every Advent season before. 
Don't allow yourself to distract or self-soothe. Wrestle with your pain and come face to face with the brokenness that is in our world. You can't just always change the channel. It's only then that we see fully the emptiness of our normal Christmas hustle and bustle. We've been settling for less than is available to us. Out of a deep longing can come the comfort and the hope of Jesus. Let's not settle this Christmas season. Hope is found in our deepest longing, but our hope also comes in the form of a person. That's our third point this morning. Hope is found in a person. In 1 Peter, we are told that our hope is not set in some kind of wishful thinking. This is amazing news because if it was, then our hope would end in despair and disappointment. But our hope is not in that. Our hope is set on the person the person of Jesus Christ, not, not our 401k, not some relationship, not some job, not some political reality, not some president, not a good medical report. Our hope is in Jesus and his promised arrival in the future to restore all that was broken. You see, Advent is a beautiful time because it allows us to look back at that first Advent when Christ came and the promise was fulfilled. And it is while we're looking at the past Advent, the first Advent, that we look with a glaze that is undistracted towards the second Advent, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. As you read through the New Testament, many people who came in contact with Jesus missed the significance of who he really was. Despite the fact that the Old Testament clearly laid out who he would be, where he would come from, who he would be born to, how he would follow through in his ministry, despite all that was laid out for them, they missed who Jesus was, but not Simeon. The moment Simeon saw him, he recognized this is the one we've been waiting for. So why did Simeon get it right and everybody else got it wrong? Because people were looking for something that Jesus wasn't. They were looking for a political leader. They were looking for a warrior king that would give them freedom. They were looking for somebody who would set them free from the oppression they were under at the time. They were looking for a temporary leader that would meet their needs right there and right then, but not Simeon. Simeon recognized we have a much bigger problem that we're experiencing in this arena called time. Man is in need of a savior. Man is in bondage to sin. Man is separated from God, and there's a Messiah that's going to come, and he's going to set his people free. And when Simeon saw the Christ... He recognized that the plan of salvation was not in a book. It was not in a plan. It was in a person. You know, there's a beauty and a dark side to the holidays. It is during this time of year that the good of life, as well as the bad of life, are both very exaggerated. We come into the holiday season with 
great expectations and great pains from the past. And so the bad looks worse and the good doesn't ever seem to present itself in the way in which we had hoped for it to be. But perhaps that's because we're putting our hope in the wrong thing. I mean, enjoy the festivities, enjoy the wonderful meals and the exchanging of gifts and the time with the family and all of those other things. Just don't put your hope in it because it's going to be disappointing. As Christians, we put our hope in the person of Jesus Christ. There's a difference between being hopeful for something and being hopeful in something. Choose this year to face your deep longings and come to believe that there is no specific source from whom you can receive hope from other than Christ and Christ alone. During this Advent season, we don't just idly wait by and hope. In fact, when we sense our deep longing to know our source of hope, then we can live every moment believing the best is yet before us. When we begin to embrace the anticipation and the expectation, we free ourselves up from the urgency of having to fix things now, knowing that our God is at work and we can hope in him. The question is this, how do we join him in the hope? Well, we join in that hope by active anticipation awaiting the fulfillment of all things. While you wait on the Lord, what would set you up perfectly for when he arrives in your life? Think about that. I mean, we look back and we celebrate the first advent, but we recognize also there's a second advent coming, which is the second coming of Christ, which, by the way, very, on a very exciting note, prior to that, about seven years prior to that, we're going to be raptured out of here. And so what's glorious about that is while we recognize the second coming is coming, we're going to be coming with Christ in that. And so that moment, which the scripture talks about, seems to be very, very close, which is what is really exciting is the rapture seems to be seven years before that. And so how do we prepare for that? How do we ready our hearts for that? This season of Advent, we, we recognize his promise was fulfilled and it gives us great encouragement and hope and confidence in knowing that his second promise comes as well. So how do we ready our hearts? Well, you know, this is a great time of the year to examine our hearts, to consider whether there's people we need to forgive in our lives people that we need to ask forgiveness from. This is the season of the year where we want to press into God, repenting of our sin, serving other people, loving other people. We wait, but we wait actively. We wait while looking backwards at the first advent, the arrival of Christ, and we wait with great hope an expectation for the second advent, his glorious appearing where he will make all things new and everything will be as it was designed to be. Hope, peace, joy, and love.
These are not the themes of mere wishful thinking. These themes are tied to a promise, a promise that is fulfilled in a person, the Lord Jesus Christ, Christ who is our hope, Christ who is our peace, Christ who is our joy, Christ who is love. Integrity Church, let's, let's slow down this Advent season. Let's examine our hearts. Let's gird up the loins of our mind. Let's ready ourselves as we prepare our hearts for the coming of our great King. For if he came once, surely he will come again. Father, thank you. Thank you that your word is sure. Your promises are true. Your faithfulness is consistently on display in our lives. Father, I pray for those that might feel like they're lacking in hope today. May they find their hope in you and you alone. Lord, help us examine our hearts to see those areas in our lives that we put hope in the wrong things, where we self seek to self-soothe or self-medicate or self-fill those gaping holes that only you can fill. Lord, would you capture our attention this Advent season so that we bring glory and honor to you in the way in which we respond during this time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.